Today is the third Sunday of Epiphany, and Epiphany begins, the season of Epiphany begins with the baptism of Jesus, where God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Epiphany ends with the transfiguration of Jesus, where God says, this is my son, listen to him. The whole season of Epiphany, the great aha or Epiphany, is that Jesus is the son of God. And we see that even in this passage that Ken just wrote, he read, (laughs) as as Jesus has such authority that he can say, follow me. And what happens? They immediately or at once follow Jesus. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, you can say to your kids, hey, do this. And at once they would do that. That would be pretty nice. I have a four-year-old, so I wish I had, or almost a four-year-old, so I wish I had that kind of authority. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, we ask that you would summon us. Summon us by the grace that first called the early disciples. As you call us to be your children of the waters of baptism, call us now to all the places that you have for us. Call us to the table, call us to the scriptures, call us to our families, our jobs, our neighbors. Help us, Lord, fish for people with the net of your grace. Speak, Lord, call us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been summoned or called to the principal's office? I'm looking around. I knew a few of you have. I can just tell. Have you ever received a phone call from a stranger asking for your name? When this happens, your heart stops. You immediately try to to figure out, what in the world did I do to get myself in trouble? In fact, growing up, I was called one time to the principal's office, and I was in fourth grade, and immediately my mind started racing, what did I do? I thought, you know, I did accidentally walk into the the girl's bathroom. Was that the reason? And I'd been a couple months, so I didn't think that was it. And I went through my mind, I was a pretty good kid, And then I realized, you know, my younger brother is only a year younger than I am. And I was convinced that he had ratted on me for something. And that's why I was getting called to the principal's office. But it was none of those. I got an award instead, and I was okay. But but I was ready to murder my brother. I'm not kidding. (laughs) When you get called, when you get summoned to a a principal's office, when someone calls you on the phone that you don't know is asking, are you so-and-so? You begin to think that I must have done something wrong. You begin to think of the excuses you might make, right? The dog ate my homework. The witness is lying. It was an accident. No, I'm not that person, right? All the excuses that you can give so you stay out of trouble. This week, I came across an email entitled Five Things or Five Excuses to Say If You're Caught Sleeping at Work. And so for those who sleep at work, here are five things that you can say. Number one. You know, they told me at the blood bank that this might happen. It's pretty good. Number two, this is one of those 15-minute power naps that they taught me at the time management course you sent me to. Number three, I wasn't sleeping. I was just meditating on the company's mission statement. Number four, I was doing a yoga exercise. Do you discriminate against people who do yoga? Or the number five reason or number five thing to say when they catch you sleeping at work, simply say, in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Always works. 
We are people who make excuses. From the beginning of time, humanity makes excuses. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent. We've been passing the buck ever since. One of my favorite excuses of all of Scripture was given by Aaron when Moses confronted him for making the golden calf. And this is Aaron's excuse. This is what he says. He says, Moses, you know how prone these people are to evil? So first of all, it's their fault. So Moses, I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire and out jumped this calf. That's Exodus 32, 21 through 24. It's there. I mean, in other words, I didn't do I just We just threw the gold in and it just jumped out, Moses. I bet Moses thought to himself, right. Terrible excuse. But we give our excuses. We make our excuses. Why? Because we're sinners. We know we must be guilty in some way. We fear punishment. And so we make excuses. When summoned, immediately we have our excuses. But what happens if you're being called to the principal's office for an award? What happens if the caller on the phone is not a creditor, but an agent from the publisher's clearinghouse? What happens then? Everything changes. Well, at first you might think there's a mistake that occurred or, oh, they're trying to sell me something. But what if they're not selling you anything? What if they're saying, we're coming with a gigantic check to your door? Suddenly that call that initially brought fear opens your whole life to something else. It's different. You're changed. You're happy. Immediately, reluctance turns to to eagerness, fear to confidence, sorrow to joy. With one such call, you call to your friends together, you throw a party because you've received a summons, but a summons of grace, of good news. Well, in our reading from Mark, the disciples are summoned by Jesus. They're summoned with the gospel. Now, it is a summons. Don't get me wrong. Jesus is calling them. Jesus is commanding them to follow. Jesus isn't saying, you know, I'd like you to maybe follow after me. No, with all the authority that Jesus has as the Son of God, as the anointed one of God, he says, follow me. And immediately they follow. So it is a summons. But it's also a summons of grace. Because, see, Jesus' whole ministry is about the good news. In fact, verse 14 tells us, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. Or in the very first chapter of Mark, or first verse, it says, this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the whole book is about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's about gospel. And so when Jesus calls his disciples, he is calling with authority, but he's graciously calling them. He's gospeling them. He's he's grabbing them with mercy, truth. He's calling them to him. And that's, of course, why he, he selects to begin with fishermen. That's an unlikely group. Of people. These men are rough and, and salty, probably with their language. They're not very educated. They're not the ones you would naturally pick to be disciples of Jesus. They're probably the last people 
you would pick. But that's how grace is. Grace always searches after those who do not deserve it. If you deserved it, it would be a wage. Grace is always free. And so Christ, in his grace, called Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and spoke to him and said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And what happens? Overwhelmed by grace, they immediately left their nets, and two of them left their father and followed Jesus. Now, how are we to understand these words? I mean, the disciples are unlearned, salty, rough, around the edges. Are we to say, you know, maybe the best way to ever make disciples of Jesus isn't to raise our kids in the faith so that when they're older, ah, then Jesus can grab them? Is that how we're to understand these words? No. Yeah, even she knows. Good, good job. She's like, no. Good job. Even more, is Jesus calling us to forsake our families? I'll just leave them behind and go wherever I lead you. Is that what these words are about? No. What they're really about is the power of, of God's call. And that when God calls, nothing can get in the way of that call. When God speaks and says, follow me, his speaking is greater than all education. It's greater than all relationships. It's greater than whatever job you have. It's greater than whatever sin you might have. When God says, you're mine, it's greater than any of these things. Greater than ethnicity. Greater than everything. That's what's being said here. And I remember when I was called to be a pastor, I didn't think I had the gifts to be a pastor. But my pastor, Phil, said, have you thought about it? And others had thought, asked me if I'd consider being a pastor. And, and I didn't think I could. I was the kid who turned red in the class when they had to read in front of everyone. In fact, I tried to read poetry in my senior year in high school. And I turned so red after two stanzas, which I just butchered, that I just went straight to, I sat down. And I, I was so terrible at it that the teacher gave me a C just because even though I didn't complete it, I at least tried, you know, so I was that kid. Also, when it came to writing, I hated writing. Math, numbers, made sense, fantastic. But the idea of writing more than a paragraph, I couldn't stand it. I hated to read. I mean, these were the things that, these weren't for me. Even more, I didn't come from a family of pastors. I mean, I, I, I came from a family that hardly went to church. And so, how in the world am I going to be a pastor? I'm not gifted for those things. I would be the worst pastor. But when God calls, those things don't matter. And God has a way of working those things out. For me, going to college and meeting new people gave me confidence. And suddenly, taking speech classes, that was something that gave me confidence. Though the first sermon I ever did, my right leg moved so much that like danced off the podium. I mean, I was like banging it against the side of the pulpit. And the, 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 my teacher said, after the sermon, said, oh, that's pretty good, but Russ, next time you preach, grab on to the pulpit, put both feet down, and just hold on. <laughs> and so when I started here, it was like that, right? But God worked that out. And as for writing, my senior in college, even though I hated writing, 
are, I was taking a theology class, and my professor said, you know, none of you know how to write well. And when he was getting his PhD at Duke, he taught undergrad writing composition. And so he took two weeks out of his, out of his syllabus and just sat and worked with the whole class on writing and writing persuasively. And that changed everything. I suddenly liked writing. It was amazing what happened. Two weeks. The point, though, is when God calls, he'll equip you. The things that we say we can't do or the hindrances that we have, they're not hindrances for God. Your vocation is not a hindrance to God. Your family members aren't a hindrance to God. Your education level doesn't hinder God's call. When God calls and says, follow me, it's the one who spoke and created heaven and earth. And when he says, follow me, those words can call us to places we would never imagine. Jesus said to those fishermen, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Now, I can't help but, but pause with those words because Jesus doesn't give them a lot of insight as to what they'll be doing. Right? Could you imagine the disciples getting, coming home, packing their bags, and saying to mom, Mom, Dad, I'm going. And they say, okay, where are you going? Um, I don't know. Okay, well, who are you going with? Well, he didn't give us his name. Well, what are you going to do? I have no idea. Right? These words, Jesus isn't filling them in. He's not telling them what they're going to do. He's not even telling them about himself. He's not telling them what's going to happen with their lives. There is nothing that they know at this point other than he said, come follow me. But isn't that like God? Doesn't God often lead us to places we have no idea where he's taking us? Isn't like God to, to not fill in all the details? I mean, the disciples were going to go on the ride of their lives. They would watch Jesus teach people, watch Jesus heal people. They'd be sent out two by two. They would make mistakes. They would betray Jesus. They'd watch him die, watch him be raised from the dead. They would be restored by Jesus. They'd watch him ascend to heaven. They'd be there on the day of Pentecost. They'd go out to the ends of the earth. Great. Glorious, amazing things. But did they have any idea about any of these things when Jesus said, come follow me? No. no. God bless you. <laughs> but they went. Because Christ said, come follow me. It seems that it's what's most important when Christ says, follow me, isn't exactly where he's going to lead us, but instead the fact that he's promising to lead us. Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me, I'll, I'll take care of it. Come follow me, I'm the one doing the leading. Well, what are we going to do? Ah, shh. Just let me, follow, let me lead. Well, how are we going to pay for it? Shh. Let me lead. I don't think I have to... Shh, Jesus. I'll take care of it. Let me lead. How many of you are familiar with the name Joseph Gilmore? You might be in a second. Joseph Gilmore was the son of a governor of New Hampshire. As a young man, he, he went to seminary, became a pastor, and he began as a supply pre preacher. And he preached at the First Baptist Church in Philadelphia. 
At a midweek service, he began preaching on Psalm 23. And when he got to the third verse, which says, He leadeth me through paths of righteousness, he was overcome when he said the words, He leadeth. And he just stopped. And he began to preach and to preach. He spent his whole time preaching just on the words, He leadeth. He tells, he writes that those words took hold of me as, as no words have ever done in my life. And you have to understand, it was during the darkest hour of the Civil War. And during that time, many people were wondering if they were on the right side. They didn't know. I mean, the nation was being fractured, and, and they probably thought they were right, but the other side was making a compelling argument. And, and so he didn't know. And in the midst of, of such struggle, he says, I realize that it makes no difference how I am led or where I'm led, so long as it's God who's doing the leading. Well, after the sermon was over, he just began to write. He wrote a poem. And after he did it, right when the rest of the congregation singing, he's writing this little poem. He comes home, he, he gives his, the poem to his wife to read, and the wife said, oh, how wonderful, and that's what wives do, and so he thought nothing more of it. But his wife sent that poem to a paper in Boston. Three years later, he's preaching in Boston because he's being interviewed as the pastor of this church. And as he's there, before he's to preach, the congregation begins to sing a hymn, and he didn't recognize it. But as they're singing, there's something familiar about it. And he realized that his poem was turned into a hymn. And they were singing his hymn that he had no idea about. They had forgotten about. That hymn was titled, He Leadeth Me. And you know this hymn. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught, Whatever I do, wherever I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. The disciples have no idea what God has in store for them. How could they? But it doesn't matter. Christ is leading them. Well, what does this mean for us today? It means this, all of you, every single one of you, have been called by God. In the waters of holy baptism, God calls each of you his own. And, it, and God is not some principal summoning you to his office. He is your Lord and Savior. Now, of course, all of us have our doubts. We know our sin. We wonder if, if Jesus is making some mistake. Lord, I don't know enough. Lord, I don't give enough time to you. Lord, my family did not raise me in faith. Lord, I have problems in my life. To which Jesus says, shh, be quiet. I'm the one, God says, who is calling you. Nothing can stop this call. Nothing. None of your doubts, none of your sin, none of your problems. Because when Christ calls, it's not just a man calling. It is the Son of God who has the Holy Spirit. And when he says, you are mine, you are his. And that claim is on you. And what's so beautiful is that when he speaks it, like the disciples immediately following, when he speaks it, it immediately happens. When he says, you're my child, you are immediately his child. He doesn't wait for you to clean up yourselves. He doesn't wait till you get this education. He doesn't wait until you do make really good things in your life. Immediately, at that moment, when God speaks it, it is what it is. 
He speaks it and so it is. And this very God who calls you, even more continues to call you and calls you to follow. He calls you to follow to many places where he leads you. He leads you to the table. He leads you to the scriptures. He leads you to your families, your jobs, your neighbors. In all these places, all these times, whether good or bad, happy or sad, abundant or lean, Jesus promises to lead you. And so he does. He leadeth me. He leadeth me. By his own hand, he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. Now, isn't that cause for celebration? We should throw a party. Invite your family and friends. Who knows? They too might hear Jesus' gracious call and then be caught in his glorious net. Let's go fishing. In Jesus' name, amen.